Friday. Man, don't seem possible. How you know we just got here yesterday? It seems like that, doesn't it? I've been doing this now. This is our 28th year of itinerant ministry, and uh, I've tried pastoring for four years too. So I've been in full-time ministry with 32 years. And uh, these camps that I go, the next one we're at's in Pennsylvania, and I'll preach six times there. And we're taking three grandsons with us in. But anyway, when you get there, I I know it. This is gonna. I'm gonna be standing up <clears throat> for the closing session in a minute. It just uh, they go by your life is just going by in a blur. It seems like our. And uh, I knew when we got here Sunday night. Friday'd be here in a heartbeat, and here it is. It's just uh, life goes. Brevity of life was a game changer for me. I was about 40 when I figured that out that I was mortal. How <laughs> you know what that means? <laughs> I figured, I just figured it's always going to be like this and everything else, and it's just not. Uh, well, Ellen, I appreciate you and Kevin. Uh, you're a couple of ministers full of grace and truth. I don't know where you've went or if you're even in here. There you are, dear. <laughs> Sit down. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, when Kevin called me, and I don't remember when it was, to, about this opportunity, and it was available and everything, and I was glad, and... Uh, he just, he's just so full of grace. He just is. He uh, makes you feel uh, appreciated or whatever you want to call it. And I just appreciate Kevin and you both. Yeah, just God bless you. I appreciate your prayers, not just for these morning sessions. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know how many of you might be on the prayer team in the back in the morning and in the evening. But I've made her off of those prayers. I know that. This has been a, ah, it's just getting older. This is more work for me. It's just harder. After tonight, I want a party. How many of you know this is not a vacation for me? How many of you figured that out? This is a work week because when I'm not preaching, I'm preparing and praying. A number of you have asked me for some requests and things, and I intercede. We're struggling intercessors, learning how to pray and learning how to intercede. How you learn is by doing. You start doing it. You just, yes, I will. Write down things, and you begin to pray about them and believe that God hears and answers prayer. Not always in our timetable. My mother prayed, prayed for me that I would fall in love with the Word of God. She prayed for me that I would get right with God. She knew I would. How many of you know you can't fake your mom? How many of you knew that? Okay. <laughs> you just can't. She's, she's going to spot you. She knows it. And uh, she died six months after I committed my life to Christ. She didn't get to see all the answers to her, her prayers. But that tells me your prayers outlive you. In other words, she's dead and gone, but her prayers are still in the golden bowls. And God takes them out, puts them on the end. Alder Vincent's are... One who ever lived to make intercession for us, hears those prayers. Don't think your prayers are ever wasted. Just don't put your prayers in God's timetable. Right. I'd like to pray and have it fixed tomorrow. Come on, wouldn't you? <laughs> Straighten that kid out tomorrow. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So um, just keep on praying. I, I appreciate the prayers and the praying people that make this a priority. Uh, I like to go to churches and when you get ready to start meetings, and they put an emphasis on, let's spend some time in prayer before we do this. That doesn't always the case, but uh, I appreciate that. And this ministry of Bayshore is a prayer-saturated bunch. Well, I'm going to take these off. Um, the books, I'm going to be taking them up after this morning session or sometime around lunch, I guess, and packing them up. So if you want any of those, and I realize the ones I'm going to be talking about are just about gone, I should have got that. Uh, but I didn't. 
<clears throat> my wife usually takes care of those things, but she's going and listening to Brian preach every morning, and just I get to get the report. How, how, how's it going? What's he saying? It's, it's just fun. Uh, Brian and I don't always get, rarely get to do this together, and it's been fun sitting at the table and talk. Two preachers get together, they just preach each other silly. You know what I mean? Blah, 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 blah. It's been fun, been fun having the kids, little Ezra, and he crawl up in bed with us. He got them little soft hands, and he had a popsicle before he went to bed. You already know, don't you, where I'm going with that. And he put that on my face like this, and then when he pulled it away, my skin went. <laughs> I went, how many of you that would drive you nuts if you had popsicle stick, but it doesn't bother children? How many of you knew that? It didn't even bother him. I just, ah! But we, we just had a ball. We really had a good time with him. And uh, I just thank God for this. Well, there's some things I want to, for you, get ready to write, okay? I got a couple verses. <clears throat> I'm not going to go the Hebrew route, uh, but uh, where's there a scripture that says the devil put, can put things in your mind? It's more of a number of scriptures you put together to see this as opposed to one verse that says that. But I've, I've distilled it down to one verse as best I can. I'll give you several other references if you want to know this, because not every thought you have is your own. How about that? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Not every thought you have is your own. Sometimes we have thoughts placed there by the world. A billboard will plant a thought in your mind, or whatever it would be. But there's also sometimes I'm minding my own business, and then all of a sudden find myself going down a trail that is weird. Where'd that thought come from? It didn't come from God. Where did it come from? Could it be that that thought came from the devil? Could that be a Ephesians 6.16 fiery dart? I don't know how you imagine. How many of you know we are not dodging real, real fire arrows? Would you agree with that? So we're talking in the spiritual realm, and I think they are aimed at the control center because your body does as your mind directs. Before every act of some kind of disobedience or obedience has been preceded by a thought, Paul said, if there first be a willing mind, now, I've got to be careful, I'll take off preaching on this, and I don't want to do that. We've had almost two mornings on warfare, and I'm not, that was just one section we were supposed to take a look at. But let me give you this verse, 2 Corinthians 11.3, and it says this, Paul says, but I fear lest by any means, and the apostle Paul did not fear much else but God. He wasn't afraid to go into town knowing he's going to get beat up, maybe stoned, thrown in prison. But this is what he said, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent, now you know who he's making reference to, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, that's what he's making reference to. He's not talking about talking snakes, he's talking about the devil. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve, now you've launched us all the way back into the garden. He said, as the serpent beguiled Eve, even so should your minds, church at Corinth, present tense, apostle, should your minds be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. If God is pure, how many of you know the devil's corrupt? Yeah. You just remember, study all, know as many attributes of God as you can, and then do a 180, and now you've got the devil. He loves to corrupt things. How many of you know he's the author of confusion? God is not the author of confusion. If you find yourself troubled, confused, can I tell you something? The devil's lurking near. Maybe he's taking a pot shot. And how did he beguile? I've never heard an audible voice from God. I believe because of Scripture, there were people God spoke to audibly, face to face. But that wasn't the norm. How many of you would agree? That doesn't, it, it happened. It just flat out happened. God would speak to people with an audible voice. 
So if a person tells me God spoke to them in audible voice, I don't take issue with it, but I personally have never heard an audible voice from God. I have never heard an audible voice from the devil, but I know both of them have spoken to me in the spirit. His spirit, according to Romans chapter 8 and 16, the last book I wrote, the spirit himself beareth witness. He speaks to me. I have had the Holy Spirit say, don't do that, Tom. No audible, but in my spirit, I'm about to do something that I'd like to think is questionable. I have the option, and God will say, don't do that, Tom. It'll be a still. How do you know when God speaks to us, he does not holler? Would you agree with that? As a parent, when you speak to your child and you've got into hollering, you've already lost all means of communication. It's over. Stop the thing and start over. God doesn't do this. People say, oh, God had to hit me upside the head with the tune. That may be true, but he doesn't want to do that. No parent wants to do that. He wants to speak to us. He ain't in the wind. He ain't in the fire. He ain't in the earthquake. He's in a still, small voice. How many of you parents love to talk to your children in a normal tone, and they get it? You communicate it. That's exactly where the father was. Well, I don't hear the audibles, but his spirit will usually say something that he's already said to my spirit and guide me. In fact, it says, oh, my, I'm, I can see this thing exploding on us and we'll never get to where we want to go. Ah. Um, John 16, 13, nevertheless, when he, the spirit of truth has come, now he's come. How do you know Pentecost has happened? The Holy Spirit has come in the way that he had not come before, same Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. I've not heard that audible, but I know his spirit speaks to me, warning me of things to come, revealing to me things, opening up things to me and being a light on the path. So I know he does that. Well, then what about the other voice? The one who beguiled Eve and who spoke to her through a serpent, does he still speak? John, I'll give you this one verse and then I'm going to stop. John 8, 44 Jesus is speaking, and he says, You are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, because he abode not in the truth. Listen to this. When he speaketh, he speaketh a lie. Well, evidently, he must speak, and his language is a lie, because he says that's his native language is lying. How do you know the devil is a master of taking 90% truth and contaminating it with 10% lie. How many of you know if you've told a half truth, you just told a whole lie? Now say amen to that if you understand it. That's his craft. In the garden, the first thing he said was, did God say you can't eat of all the trees? He wanted to engage her into conversation. Can I tell you something? He knew exactly what God had said. And she said, no, God didn't say we can't eat of all them trees. He said we can't eat of that one in the middle of the garden. If we eat of that one, we'll die. Now, he flat out calls God a liar. You won't die, but God does know in the day that you eat of that tree, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. You don't need him telling you what's right and wrong, what to do and what not. How many of you know he's flat out lying now, but he's got her in the conversation. He's, that's the same thing. If we fill our minds with truth, we will spot the counterfeit lie. And when he fires the dart or when he beguiles or speaks to our spirit, he is the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. As Christians, there are times we do things we know we shouldn't do. I'm not moving one inch until we say amen. You know, how have you known better and did her anyway? 
Now, I never have, but some of you might have struggled with that. Oh, come on. That's us, folks. We're looking in the mirror there. We do it. And he just, just as the Father will amen and say, good job, he'll say, how do you know the Holy Spirit is our helper to help us obey God? Would you agree with that? Now, save me this sermon. I can preach it to you. How do you know the wicked spirit is the one who will help us do wrong? I've just turned that direction sometimes, thinking, ah, I'm not going there, and all of a sudden I got help, and I'm there, and I never dreamed I'd be there saying things I never dreamed I'd say and doing things I never dreamed I'd do, because I had help, because I believed that little bit of a lie. That's the battle. Discerning the voice. What is true, what is not, what is not true. <clears throat> so that is a, a little bit of a flavor. Did that help at all? Okay. Um, of how he, he works. I didn't even touch the Hebrew stuff. There's a whole lot more. I've got a whole bunch of scriptures written down here. But that... Okay. <laughs> we can do that. That John 8, 44 is powerful. So is Ephesians 2, 2. There's a whole sermon I preach on the three storms. There's three storms we face as Christians. One of them is the flesh. One of them is the world. One of them is the devil. Remember when Jesus, disciples, boat, Galilee, left Tiberias, headed to Gadara. The other side, that would be the southeast corner of Galilee. He said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. How many of you know when Jesus said we're going to the other side, that means you're going to make her to the other side. Would you agree with that? He didn't say it would be a, he didn't say it'd be a leisure cruise. He just said we're going to make it. And a great storm came up suddenly. How many of you are familiar with that? It's Mark. It's in several of the gospel. When, it, when something comes up suddenly, be very suspicious. This is of the devil. If everything is calm one minute and absolute chaos the next, be very suspicious. This may be straight out of hell. Because I can tell you that storm was not from God the Father because Jesus, when they woke him up, he stood up and rebuked the storm. He doesn't rebuke things the Father sends. Would you agree? But he rebuked that storm and he calmed it. By the way, that word rebuked is exactly the word it, it, that's used in the Greek language when he rebukes the deaf and dumb spirit, when he rebukes the devil. So he's not going to rebuke the father. If the father sent the storm, it's just to get us over there quicker. He said the storm came up and he rebuked him and three kinds of storms. The one of the flesh is Satan. Excuse me, the one in the flesh is Jonah. How many of you know God told Jonah to go to Nineveh? When God tells you to do something, you say, I ain't going to do it. You better hang on. There's a storm coming. It's going to happen. Jonah said, God said, go to Nineveh. He said, I'm going on a cruise. Come on, would you agree with that? <laughs> That's a loose translation. He said, I'm going on a cruise. So I get back from that cruise. God forget all about that Nineveh stuff. So he went down to Tarsus and he paid the fare. I love that. Whenever you run from God, you're going to pay for it. If you're one of his children, you're going to pay the fare. And he gets on that thing three days, the belly, and finally he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord says, Jonah, there's two ways out of here. Some of you have to think on that. Vomit or manure. Neither one of them are good, but one of them's a little better than the other, okay? And he finally said, I'll go. And he went to Nineveh. And we have that in us. And then there's one just being a citizen of the earth. Paul, if we could continue on with our thing and find out that he finally gets on a grain ship headed toward Rome. And finally, after two years of no recorded God speaking to him, an angel of the Lord stood by him and says, Fear not, Paul, for thou shalt also go to Rome and represent me in Rome also. I have a lot of work there for you to do. And uh, yet he was still in the storm. 
by virtue of being in the world, folks, that we are going to be involved in things here that we have no plan about. It's just part and parcel of being a citizen of the earth. We're not immune from the troubles of this world. We live in a country that can collapse. We're Americans. It's part and parcel. Don't think, oh, I'm a Christian. That ain't going to, oh, come on, read the book. There's a whole lot of believers that went through a whole lot of struggles just because they were citizens of earth. And what do you do? How do you face those three different kinds of storms? Whole, totally different message. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about grace for a few moments, and then I'd like to finish up if we have time on the Holy Spirit some. Um, I'm going to read the forward of this. Uh, the reason I did that is because I did it uh, last week in preparations for coming here. I have not read my books since I wrote them. I don't read my own stuff. I wrote them. So I, if I don't know what's in there, that's my problem. So, but I thought, I'll just take a look at this thing called grace, because I thank God for grace. Um, let me read it to you. The very word grace has become a sweet-sounding word to me. I love how it is used in Scripture to describe the things that I have come to cherish. The God of all grace, the word of his grace, the grace of God that bringeth salvation, the spirit of grace, the grace of Christ, justi justified freely by his grace and salvation by grace. It's no wonder the hymn writers use that adge used adjective like amazing grace, wonderful grace, and marvelous grace, just to name a few. I believe a person's entire theology is shaped by their understanding of the grace of God. It has been my privilege from early in my journey of faith to sit under preachers and Bible teachers who taught the scriptural foundations of the doctrines of grace. This attempt at writing on the vast subject of grace will be good for me. I'm sure the discipline of study, preaching, and writing on this topic will help me grow in grace. The Apostle Peter closed his second and final letter with this, with this exhortation, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. 2 Peter 3.18 It is an encouragement to know that we can grow in grace. The Apostle Paul in his last letter to Timothy encouraged him on the subject of grace. Thou therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.1 To grow in grace, to become strong in grace is all done by his grace. May his grace and peace be multiplied as we consider but he giveth more grace. And I thought that, that, that's about the heart I have toward this subject. It's just something I want to grow in. I'm already in it. I'm in, you, don't, you don't grow into grace. It's the grace of God that brings us to salvation. How have you knew that? We were rebels. We would have never found Christ. It was his grace that brought us to salvation. And so he says, now that's how it happened, and uh, I want you to grow in grace. I would make this comment. If you're going to err in your theology, and all of us do, all of us have. How many of you know that nobody has all knowledge and all wisdom? Would you agree with that? We, there's a lot of things we haven't figured out. But if you're going to err in your theology and theology, theos, God, ology, study, the study of God, and we all study God. Everybody studies God, whether you realize it or not. If you're going to err, and you're going to err on the side of grace, Err in your theology on the side of grace. I would rather go with grace and maybe not be accurate on it, but I'd rather err on that side, giving God the glory for his grace than I would anything else. Let me give you the definition of grace. It's found in definitions of words are given to us in Scripture. 
I mean, if I ask you, what is the definition of faith? You ought to be able to give me a scripture to tell you, tell me or tell somebody, what is faith? How many of you know Hebrews 11 tells us what faith is? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If we want to know what faith is, if you want to know what sin is, what is sin? Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. God gave Adam and Eve one law. Don't eat of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. One law. They broke that law. That was sin. Sin is when we transgress God, God's laws. Um, the definition of grace is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, and it says this, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always with all sufficiency in all things. Do you realize what an absolute word that word all is? Listen to that. He said that you always with all sufficiency in all things might abound unto every good work. Mercy is not the same as grace. I heard a preacher say this one time, and it, it stuck. I love one-liners. This stuck. He said, mercy is God not doing something to us that we deserve. You know what we all deserve? We deserve justice. How many of you know we, do, we deserve the judgment? There's only one thing that stands between me and the hell I deserve, and it's Christ. Simply. I have nothing to offer God to say, that merits your presence. Nothing. So his mercy, and how many of you are glad that he is rich in mercy, that he has an abundance of mercy? So mercy is God not doing something to us that we do deserve. Grace is God doing something for us that we don't deserve. We do not deserve God sending his only son into the world to die for our sins. Come on, say amen to that now. We don't deserve that. But since when are we going to be deserving of God? By his grace, we become deserving. He is going to do for us. Now, some people, when they sin, they say, oh, God, give me grace. Help me not to do that again. Um, when you sin, ask God for mercy. That's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you from all sin. Now, this can... I don't think it's semantical. I think it's actually literal. Well, let me give you the verse. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, first of all, that we might find grace to help in time of need. God cleanse me. Would you? I failed again. Doesn't shock God. He's not wringing his hands, wondering what he's going to do with a child like you or me. He said, my mercy is there. I will cleanse you. I, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I can get right back into fellowship with God. I can. I don't have to. I can wander and wallow around in my sin. Boy, that's dangerous. Sin only begets more sin. Guess what? Grace produces more grace. If I choose to live in grace, and grace is what keeps me from sinning, Mercy is when I have sinned, God be merciful, forgive me, cleanse me. Grace is, God help me not to sin. Give me grace right now to overcome some temptation. Some past sin in my life that has held me in defeat for years, God, give me grace. And by grace, beginning to notch your belt with victories, and pretty soon the scales tip and it no longer rains in your life. You don't eradicate sin, people. You do not eradicate sin from your life. There is still a nature in you to sin. There are still sinful impulses that live in the heart of the most sincere believer. I love this little saying. It says, two natures live within my breast. This is Romans 7. I want to do certain things, 
and I don't do them. I don't want to do other things, and they're the very things, the very thing I hate, that's what I do. How many of you are familiar with Paul's struggle? And he's not writing pre-Christ, he's writing present tense. As, an, a, pen, as a penman of Holy Scripture, he says, I'm still struggling in this arena. In fact, he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Not oh, wretched man that I was, but since I trusted Jesus, I've just been a peach. That's not what he's saying. Don't you wish you could just trust Jesus and all your troubles go away? That's not reality. That's not the battle. That's not the slugfest. Two natures live within my breast. The one is foul, the other blessed. The one is love, the other hate. The one I feed will dominate. See, if you feed that spiritual man, he's going to get strong. But it says, uh, Jude, verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, you do it. How many of you wish you could hire somebody to do the exercising and dieting for you? How many of you know they, they may do it, but they will get the benefit, not you? Would you agree? I need to do certain. There are certain spiritual things that feed the spiritual man. Just as a man who is feeding the flesh, his old man and old thing will become stronger and sins will begin to dominate and destroy the life. So is it with the spiritual things that I need grace to have those spiritual things in my life. Spiritual things. Ask for grace to help in time of need. Let me see if I can give some kind of practical application. By the way, the Apostle Paul, who at the end of that Romans 7 says, who is going to deliver me from the body of this death? He said, oh, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's back to his Savior. He's the one that's going to help me till no, sin no longer rules and reigns in areas of my life. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Who in the world's he writing to? It ain't the chamber of commerce. It's the church. It's believers. Sin's only, it's, it's there. It's not going to run me anymore. There's a new master here. His name is Jesus. He wants to be on the throne of our life. Neither yield ye your members. Hands, feet, eyes, ears, nose, mouth, all this stuff. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Yield yourselves. Let, your, let God know I'm presenting my, but here I am again, God. And I've yielded this to you, and I cannot pull it off apart from your grace, your divine enabling power. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always with all sufficiency in all things might abound in every good work. You see, begin to tie these grace and living things together. I'll see if I can give you some application here. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. Hmm. I've got to look that up. Oh, I know what it is. I, sometimes in making notes, I just throw the reference down, expecting me to remember it. I've had things in my notes I've actually said while I'm preaching. What in the world does that mean? I'm still preaching. <laughs> you know, that's my next point, and I have no clue what it means. <laughs> you don't have to be nuts to be a preacher, but it helps. I can tell you that. It really does help. You know, Joyce and I in our conversations are catching each other, starting a conversation and not knowing where we were going with it. Anybody relate to that? You're too young for that. <laughs> And I'm thinking, what's going to happen to me? Because I have seen old preachers that used to, oh man, A-game it. Get to the pulpit and uh, repeat themselves and repeat themselves. And it's a sad thing to see. I dread that. I dread that. And uh, who knows? 
How of you know whenever you say who knows, there is somebody who knows? Did you know that? <laughs> it is you, but it's the Lord, okay? It's just part of our journey. And we're, we want to grow older with grace. God give us grace for this aging deal that we're in. Just help us in it. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, Paul says, here's an application. Don't, don't become obsessed with asking God to take away all your problems. Oh, God, take it away. You know, I don't, I don't deal with it. Just take that away. If, if that wasn't here, I wouldn't have a problem. There's some problems with that theology. As long as you're in the flesh, you're going to have problems. As long as you're in the world, you're going to have problems. As long as there's a real devil that would love to destroy you, you're going to have problems. It's part and parcel. Look at that and say, accept it. Say, okay, God, rather than take it away, give me grace to deal with this. Because his grace is able for me to deal with no matter what it is. God, with always, with all sufficiency, listen to this, in all things. And some of you people are going to struggle with things I don't struggle with. And I'm going to struggle with things you don't struggle with. But your things, God is going to have grace available for you to deal with it, to conquer it, to walk in victory, to walk above it, to have, to bring that old man, that old nature under the authority of a new man in Christ Jesus, that new man created in Christ Jesus. Well, Paul was doing that. There was a messenger of Satan sent by God to afflict him, lest he be exalted above measure. Now, though it doesn't give us all the details of what that issue was, I think it was because he had a vision in God. He said, whether in the body and the spirit, he said, I don't know. But God took him to the third heaven, and he saw heaven. He saw things that you, we haven't seen. And God wouldn't let him talk about it. He came back, he said, I can't even talk about it. And he says, see, there's three heavens. The first heaven you see by day, the second heaven you see by night, the third heaven you see by faith. That's the abode of God. And that's the one he got to go to and see and come back and God said, I don't want you to, I want this to be a surprise. This is my party. I don't want you telling people about this. From then on, you want to know something? He didn't have to live by faith. Not about that heaven stuff. That old boy knew I got a glimpse of where we're going when this thing is over. And God said, don't tell anybody. God said, I'm going to help you. And he sent a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest he be exalted above measure. That tells me the Apostle Paul was not above the temptation of pride. It's hard to imagine that. This godly, he's my favorite apostle. What a godly, godly man. But he says, pride will destroy you. It's destroyed some pretty big hitters. I don't want you to get all, it says, how many kings walk with God? Solomon walks with God in his middle years of his life. Toward the end of it, he became established in his kingdom. And his many wives turned his heart away from the true God. And he died worshiping idols. Why? He got all off my past when I walked with God. It happened to Saul. When Saul was little in his own eyes, how many of you know God was using him in a big way? But when he got all swolled up, and that can happen, it can happen. He said, God, would you take this away? Would you take it away? He said, he asked the Lord thrice. In Hebrew mentality, that may be in a multitude of times. And God finally said to him, Paul, I ain't taken it away. My grace is sufficient for you. And when this preacher, teacher of grace said, oh, I forgot grace. Oh, God, give me grace to deal with this most gladly then. The joy of the Lord filled his heart. None of his circumstances changed. But it did. How many of you know when God changes you, it don't matter if your circumstances change. Did you get that? Amen. If you have a joy in a situation where you were miserable moments ago, it don't matter if the things change. 
And he said God gave him grace to embrace this truth. And he said, let's get it on. Let's get after it. Let me tell you two things. Joyce and I are growing in grace in this area of our life. Just learning this in the last year and a half or so. To quit asking God to straighten this situation out and take care of this and do this. God give grace to deal with that. Oh, here, here's an illustration. We ask God for grace to be patient with one another. Because there are times we get impatient with each other. I mean, I love her. I'd die for that woman. She loves me. Die for me. But there's times she gets get tired of telling me to pick up my socks. <laughs> How many of you know it's not big things? It's little things that start it. Would you agree with that? I mean, some stupid thing. And just things I, certain things I do. Use a hanky, Tom. Did any of you get that? You know what that means? <laughs> I ain't got time to get a hanky. I got to get it right now. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came for that? Okay. But it's that kind of stuff. And she'll, she'll see me do it. And sometimes she don't say nothing. She's asked for grace. And, stuff, you know. and sometimes she says, you use a hanky. No. <clears throat> you know. Then all of a sudden, you got troubles. Okay. But we're asking God for grace to be patient. And you know what we're getting? We're getting grace for patience. Things that used to be on the radar that were nickel-dime issues aren't even worth a penny. Let me say this. Do not pray for patience. Amen. How many of you know what your answer will be? Yes. Trials. Who needs trials while eating a hot fudge sundae? <laughs> if everything's going good, who needs patience? We're in the parade. Who needs some patience? It's in the times of trials. And God said, you want patience? You've got to have trials. How many of you know the Lord does send trials into our life? They're not all the devil. Would you agree with that? The Lord tries the righteous. It says that in Proverbs. In Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, it's either 1st or 2nd, this page, inside com. I think it's 1 Peter. He says that the trial of your faith. How many of you know the trial of the faith is not what he's talking about? The gospel was on trial 2,000 years ago. Jesus passed the test. Say amen. amen. See, that, that's not what we're talking about. But the trial of your faith, my faith, that's what I live by. Both to walk by faith and not by sight. That's the metaphor. How we live this, how we deal with these things. And the trial itself, when you see this, will become precious because there's no trial you and I will ever face that God's grace is not sufficient according to what he told Paul. How many of you got that? His grace will be sufficient no matter what you and I face. I do not have grace for being without my wife right now. If my wife were to die suddenly, I tell you right now, the thought of that, that would be in Job's category, that which I fear the most. I need her. I love her. I mean, we are together way more than the majority of people. We have been for years. I mean, we just, everything's together. We're in ministry together. We just, we're just together. And I have come so, we are codependent. Oh, you shouldn't be codependent. Oh, shut up. I love being codependent. I love her knowing me and me knowing her. I, you know, just, just, we're that way. I do not have grace for her death, but I'm going to tell you something. If God were to take her, because the Lord does give and the Lord does take away. Yes. It's in the book. If he took her, he would give me grace to handle that. And I would be asking regularly, oh, God, give me grace, because I'm so used. I hate when I'm away on a men's retreat, and I come home and say she's with her mom, who's 96, and I come into the house, and that house is empty. I don't even want to go in it, because when I walk into that house, it's not the house. It's her. I want to see her, make eye contact. I can't imagine coming home, 
there would be grace available for Tom Harmon. If this book is true, his grace would be sufficient. I don't have it now because I don't need it now. How many of you know what I just said? But if it ha what about the things that you don't have written in the script that may happen in your life in the next year? What, what kind of things? Can I tell you something? If you go vertical and ask God for grace, you'll be okay because he'll give you grace. He'll strengthen you. One of the main prayers we've been paying for Julia, whose husband just died seven weeks ago, is God give her grace to adjust to life now without her husband. Give her grace. Widows need prayer for grace. Give God give her grace. It's the divine enabling power of God for us to do what we can't do without you. God did not create us to be independent from him, but totally dependent upon him. Go to the garden. God wanted them to realize they needed him, their maker, the one who designed the whole thing. The appeal of Satan was you can be independent of God. God, give me grace to see that I, I need you. So much of my life I've tried to live independent. I want to, be, I want to acknowledge my absolute dependence upon you. Oh, God, give me grace. Other illustration. Do not pray, oh, God, humble me. Because he can do her. Do you know that in James 4.10, he gives us the option to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord? We ask God, God, give us grace for humility. God, give us grace for humility. Don't, I remember one year, I read Andrew Murray's book. Humility is the title of it. I read that book. I was so convicted how arrogant I was. And I said, by the way, there's a, quite a popular song that says, oh God, humble me. I won't even sing it. I won't sing that. When he gives me the option, I have, I asked God to humble me for one year. It was a horrible year. You know what he did? He sent critics into my life. Critics after every sermon. They just got in line and wanted to criticize my sermon. I said, what's going on? What, the bottom fell out. I have not been experiencing this up to this particular time. I think it was in like 1990. Oh God, humble me. And the critics came out of the woodwork. Oh, you spit when you preach. You, you're too long. You're too short. You sweat. Oh, you're distracting. I, it wasn't my theology they were necessarily attacking. They were just assaulting me. They always had something to cheap shot me, nickel dime me. And I got news for you. That'll wear you down. You'll finally start getting gun shy. I got to be careful. I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> How many of you know the book's offensive enough? Would you agree? <laughs> just preach the word. You're going to have this. It's part and parcel and stuff. But these could... I spoke to a senior group one time, a little old sweet gray-haired lady come up to me and she's waiting in line. And by this time, I'm, I'm gun shy. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking back, I wonder what she's gonna say. And she came up, she had a three by five card. It had line, how many of you know you keep score? One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two. And she came up and I said, yes. And she said, uh, do you know how many times you said I in that sermon? And I went, oh boy. I said, no. How many times did I say I in that sermon? I'm, a, I'm that close to getting the flesh and sucker punching this old woman, okay? <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that, but that's still in me. That used to be my solution to everything. You want to dance, baby? Okay. <laughs> Start the music and we'll be break dancing right now. Okay. So how many times you said I? I said no. I said how many times? She said 69 times. I, I kept record of it. How many of you know she didn't get anything out of that sermon? She turned around. I, I said to her, I said, well, what do you think that means? She said, well, I don't know, but I just thought you should know. When she turned around, I, I, I really zeroed the back of her head. I could roll her down that whole aisle. Just, woo! But I couldn't find a verse to support it. 
I, you know, there's no verses to support some of our behavior, okay? I mean, it was that kind of stuff. I, I, I actually began to keep track of the, of the things that people said to me that year. Just, I mean, I do have critics, and critics, you need some. If they're going to be critical of a legitimate thing that's going to help you, it's criticism to tear you down is one thing, but criticism to kind of get you on track here. You need to think of this. There, there's a difference, and you can discern them things. Well, at the end of that year, the only thing I knew about myself was how arrogant I was. How many of you know that is arrogance? Would you agree with that? That's all it is, is arrogance. So I asked God to humble me, and he just pointed out how arrogant I was. So the next year, I said, since I made no progress, I'm not going to ask you to humble me. God, give me grace to start humbling myself. To start stooping. Whenever you preach like this, you people need to hear this, you're in trouble. How many of you know that? But if you preach from your own weaknesses and your own sins, can I tell you some people say, I can relate to that. And that's what I did. I said, God, give me grace to humble. He said, then be transparent. You think I like talking to people about pornography in my past and anger in my past and violence in my past? I don't like to do that. But you know what? You relate with people because we are all in that same kettle of fish. You may not have those issues, but you've got your issues. You, they're there. You've got your things that you treasure, cows. You don't have a cow. I don't, I don't like cows. You've got a cow somewhere in your life, some sacred cow that is precious to you, that's hindered you from your walk. And it just those kinds of things. And I learned that. So Joyce and I say, God, give us grace to humble ourselves. To be quiet. Man, that's... Just shut up sometimes. And I, I jokingly say, you know how hard that is when you're brilliant, you know? Uh, <laughs> we, must <be> <laughs> yeah, we must really be brilliant. You know what? It's, um, it's hard to be obedient to that still, small voice sometimes when he says, just be still. When we hear that voice, I say, then God, give me grace to obey. Because I really like to say something. I've been amazed, Joyce and I, at how many things God has worked out without us volunteering our two cents. Just go to God for, in prayer for the situation and ask for grace with people. Sometimes family, sometimes family. God, give me grace. Don't God, give me patience. God, please, you know, give me patience. Here comes the trial. God humbled me. He said, okay, I'll do her. I'd rather you do her. How many of you know God wanted to use Peter, but he couldn't use Peter because of Peter's arrogance? All the rest of them will deny, but I won't. I'll die. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows tonight, you'll deny me three times. And he looked at Jesus and said, you ain't wrong very often, but you missed her on this one. You know who you're talking to? This is Peter. Walk on the water. I know who you are. I've confessed you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you know what? Yeah, I do know, Peter, and I really want to use you, but I can't use you in this kind of shape. How do you know after them all, er, 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 he was a different man? Did you know that? As Jesus walked by and the rooster crowed and he looked at Peter, Peter went out and wept bitterly. And I can tell you this, the devil would have loved to had him hang himself. He was tormented by the devil during those days. And Jesus prayed for him that his faith wouldn't fail. It wouldn't crash and burn. And he made her. And it took him even some time after that before he became the apostle of hope and wrote his letters from Babylon. Now, I think the main way to get grace is to ask God for grace boldly. You don't deserve it. I never will. None of us will. But if we will humble ourselves and say, God, I need, I can't do this without you. And ask him and then wait on him. Waiting is an important part 
of getting grace. Psalms 40 verses 1 through 3 says this. David said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my prayer. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. We like to think that all happened overnight. People, this is his journey. Seven years in Hebron, he's supposed to be ruling the whole nation. He's got just the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Don't think that David had an easy life. He did not have an easy life. But he knew as he waited, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And he wouldn't take Paul's life. He was going to wait on the Lord. I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointing. You realize how hard that was? His whole comrades around him, Benaiah, Abishai, them guys are saying, stick him. End it. These guys will follow you. And the Lord said to him, wait. I'll take care of Saul. Wait. Wait. He brought him up also out of a horrible pit, out of miry clay, and set his feet upon the rock and established his goings and put a new song in his mouth, even praise to our God. Others will see it and hear it, and they'll fear and trust in the Lord. When people see God working in our lives, are parakeeting our theology, people are sick of our theology, they want to see our faith. A life of faith is one where God's dealing with you and dealing with your junk and showing himself strong on your behalf, and then you have a testimony. Your testimony, I wish I'd have had more time to spend talking about that in the evenings. People, do you realize what a testimony, a testimony is what gets people to buy things. We saw a commercial on a vitamin or something, it's called Omega XL. Anybody ever heard of that? It's, uh, it's green. Larry King Live is going to give a testimony. You know what he says? For years, he said, I couldn't hardly get out of bed, and my joints were just all so sore. And he's a, a reputable person. I mean, he's a nationally known figure. And he, and he says, I started taking one of those pills today, this Omega XL. And he says, my pain is gone. Now, that's his testimony. You can either call him a liar. He's not offering any proof or anything. He just says, that's what it was. This is what it is, his testimony. And then he says... And then the guy who is representing the company for that particular vitamin says... Uh, Yes, we have noticed that the Maori, I can't remember all this stuff, the people of New Zealand and stuff, that they had a real low incident. How they ever figured this out, it doesn't matter. We're just listening to somebody's testimony. These people don't have joint pains and all this kind of stuff. And uh, they, they had a real uh, large part of their diet was these uh, green-lipped mussels, these clams, okay? And green-lipped mussels, he said, and now they are growing these green-lipped mussels. And then it shows a picture of them growing on strings in the pristine waters off the... Uh, no agriculture and, and the water's off of New Zealand and stuff, and everything's just pure, pure, pure. You know what? I don't have aches and pains, but I wanted a bottle of that. How <laughs> of you know when a person holds up a pair of pants like this, and then you see them all small and everything? That's their testimony. Or somebody... These exercise machines. You get this... Ex Ten minutes a day, you can afford that, and then they show you some guy that's naturally ripped up, he's got <laughs> said, I only did this for six weeks, and look at me. I'm getting one of them. And we think if we get them and put them in the basement, they'll work. <laughs> How many of you know you can always buy that stuff cheap at a yard sale? Did you know that? Because people buy it, because they buy it on a testimony. But you know what the world does? We respond to people's testimonies. When we have a testimony of what God is doing in our life, God has given, been giving me grace. I want some of that grace. How do I get that grace? You can only, there's only one source. He is the God of all grace. You've got to go to God to get grace. Would you say amen to that? You've got to go to God. You see it? And we have a, a life that is changing, and we have a testimony of what God is doing in our life. People they don't care about your theology. 
they want to know what, how does that affect you? What's your faith? What's your faith in? Okay. Um, ask is the number one way to get grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace. You obtain mercy to find grace in time of need. Um, and then to humble yourself. Um, humble yourself. There's things we're trying to do. One of them is be quieter. Just be quiet. Be still. Now, for a preacher, that's hard, but I get my opportunity. I'm blabbing away up here like crazy. Be still most of the other times. Just learn to be still. That's a, a grace. We're getting grace for that. We're getting grace for patience. Joyce and I are really growing in this. Uh, grace for prayer. You have a hard time praying? Ask God to give you grace to pray. Say, I'm not really that committed or involved in the Word. God, give me grace to read my Bible. Give me grace for the spiritual things. Give me grace to go to church, and not just to go, but find a place where I can fit in. Where do I plug in here? Who can I serve? Ask your pastor. Need anybody to help clean the church? I don't know. God, give me grace to serve. These are all spiritual things, Romans chapter 8. The natural man... Um, Uh, it's real close. Let me get it. The spiritual things all need grace. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. God, I want to please you, but I need grace to do it. I need grace to be kind. I need grace not to be critical. It's amazing how many of my initial, they're not responses, they're reactions to things. It's not godly. God, would you give me grace to respond and not to react? A simple prayer like that does change things. And God will say, yes, I will. And then when he gives you grace, don't resist the grace of God. Don't know, I tell you this, I have known God's grace was available for me to obey and do the right thing. But my past was so ingrained, I went ahead and did the wrong thing anyway. But then the fruit of it, I'm saying, God, why did you do that? He said, you didn't want to obey by grace. I gave you grace to do that. And I know it, and I'm thinking, God, I want to live a life of grace. I want to be characterized and known by this commodity called grace, your divine enabling power for me to be who you've called me to be. God did not call us to live a holy life or be sanctified, set apart unto God, and then say, good luck. He said, my grace is sufficient. I'll help you. It is the divine enabling, the divine enabling power of God for me to do everything he's called me to do. He's called me to be a godly husband. He's called me to be a godly father and grandfather. Godliness, teaching us that denying ungodliness, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. God, I want to be godly. I can't do it without your grace. And I find myself just constantly saying, God, give Joyce and I now, give me grace to do this. Give me grace to know the pace you want me to do things. I'm a driven person. I'm a project-oriented person. I'm not a people-oriented person. I'm a project. Give me a project. See, I'm just a laborer. That's the only thing God has given me is an ability to just labor. Okay, I don't have any skills, but I can become a workaholic real easy and push God right over in the corner because I love projects. Ah, get them done. 
the book projects and other real estate. That was one of the toughest things I've ever done in my life. But I knew once I started, I was going to finish it. I was going to finish it. God, give me grace to have sense enough to do it in your power, not mine. You can do a lot of good things in your own energy if it's in your gift area, your talent, what he's equipped you to do. God, I want to do this in your grace. Your ways are so much better than my ways. Good place for an amen, would you? His ways are better than our ways. And his ways demand of me a walk of grace, a walk of grace. And I want to say something. That's the flavor for this book right here. And I apologize. There's only a couple of them. There's only one Holy Spirit book. And I'm going to, oh, we're just about, I'm going to switch gears. And yet I'm not because the Holy Spirit, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace in Hebrews chapter 10. He is called the spirit of grace. When you're asking for grace, you're asking for a measure of the Holy Spirit that brings and enables you in the power of his grace. Oh, man, I know I never do all this. Um, I was going to read a part of chapter 1. You know, the one thing I learned about writing and studying and preaching on the Holy Spirit, that I'm not the Holy Spirit. How many of you ever tried to be the Holy Spirit? You're not. He's the Holy Spirit. Uh, you try to act and manipulate and all this kind of stuff in people's lives, thinking it's some godly thing. Be real careful with that. Oh, it's been said the highest thoughts a man can ever think are thoughts about God. Who is he? What is he like? We must realize that every problem we have in life is directly or indirectly related to our concept of God. God wants us to think rightly about him, so he has given us his resume, the Bible. God's word explains the attributes of God. Each attribute is what God has revealed as being true about himself. I hope it does not seem presumptuous to write of the person of God in one short chapter as though we could grasp the full understanding of who he is and what he is like. Yet sometimes just a glimpse into his character gives us all we need for making right decisions for life. Then I go through the God is omniscient, just attributes of him. God knows. Now that leaves me. How can you know everything? and then let things go on because he's given us his spirit to guide us to walk in his ways it's so, it's so, how do you know that Christianity is a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ his Holy Spirit comes to live in me and to minister his grace to me I don't think I'm going to read much more of that um, let me raise to something applicable Romans chapter 8 is what this book basically is about. Usually when I sign that book, I'll just put on Romans chapter 8 after my name. Um, the importance of walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. How do you know those things are, to a degree, our responsibility? There's things I need to do to walk in the Spirit, to have an ear toward heaven. I tell anybody who's 30 or in that late 20s, 30 to 40, early 40s in that 12 to 15 year area, during this time of your life, turn your ear toward heaven because you are going to make decisions in that frame of your life that's going to affect the rest of your journey. How the thing turns out, you'll make your decisions in that. You begin to flesh them out later on and then live in the fruit of them and then reap, reap the fruit of them later on. But your major decisions are made during that time of your life. Jesus in his 30s. John, you just look at the people in the Bible that in that time frame of their life, that's when they heard something from God that affected their decision. 
our sons. I was called to preach in my 30s. Um, Brian, the same thing. I think his was July 11th, July 7th, 2.30 in the morning. He and Kimberly laying in bed. Brian was the quietest, the shyest of our children. He was a mama's boy from the get-go. I never dreamed he would be a street preacher. Never would have dreamed. And he said, neither would I. And if I didn't sense God's call, there's no way I'd have done her. See, God gave him a call because he asked me two years before. He says, Dad, he said, if God has a, he's, he's got his own business in the days when the building trade, he was doing well. He and Ben both had their own companies. And he said, if God has a call on my life, he said, would you pray for me that I don't miss it? That I'll be sensitive and I'll hear it. And I said, I will. And I went home and I wrote that down. Joyce and I both did. And I prayed for that every day for two years, a little bit over two years. And I was preaching down in southern Michigan. And he and Kimberly got away. And they just came down and listened to us preach. And it was that night. He was laying in bed. And he and Kimberly are talking about it. He says, I'm losing my desire to do what I've been doing for these years. When God begins to change your desires, hang on. He's about to speak to you about something. And Kimberly and I lay in there in bed, and we just felt like God is saying, Brian, I want you to quit what you're doing. I want you to be a preacher, and I want you to preach on the streets. He didn't know anything about open-air campaigners. I got news for you. They took him on and said they, can, they could see God's hand on his life. He didn't have to go through the two years of training in order to be on that organization. He's the first and only one that's been the case. Because the guy in Boston said, we see the SPAC in you. They don't, they, they don't say spark. They say SPAC, okay? We see the SPAC in you. And so now he's ended up running. He said, Dad, I'm going to do it because I'm so convinced that God wants me to do this, whether I'm a part of that organization or not. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, son, you got seven kids. You're quitting your job. Are you nuts? Of course, when I did it, it was brilliant. How <laughs> if you know what I mean? Same God, same everything, and I said, you know, I, I know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing either. And during that time frame of your life, the Holy Spirit just may say something to you that is going to be direction-altering. In that time, whether it's the preach or whatever, it be anything like that, it may be just something different with regard to your job or home. Just keep an ear toward heaven. The Holy Spirit does bear witness with our spirit. If we walk in the spirit, that's in obedience. I've just raced through a bunch of stuff, and I'm going to give you the closing to this, and we'll be done. They that are led by the Spirit, this Holy Spirit of God does lead us. Now, by the way, having a call in your life to do something like Brian's doing, like I'm doing, there are men in ministry that boo-hoo that and say we're all called, and I agree. But we are. But I think there are certain giftings that God gives you that you can't deny. There's no way I would be doing what I'm doing if it weren't a call from God. No. I am so not a people person. I am so an introvert. I know I don't look like it up here. An introvert is somebody who gets their energy around uh, out of being alone. I love to be alone. I love to be alone. An extrovert gets their energy out of being around people. I mean, I, I'm in ministry around guys that you can say, there's an extrovert. He just loves it. In fact, this one guy, was, we were at a place preaching, and it was a conference. There's a lot of different people that were going to be speaking at this conference. And my wife and I overheard this one guy say, who is a nationally known preacher. 
saying, I'm not ready and I got to do the next session. And his wife said to him, well, just go out and be around some people for a little while. You'll be all built up and ready to go. I don't want to be around people before I get ready to preach. They drain me. I need to be alone with God. But when we heard that, we thought, that's him. You know what he did? He went out and talked to a few people. God stirred his spirit. He hit that pulpit and was on fire. Because that's the way God had wired him, okay? Um, to do what I'm doing, I know has to be of God. And God gets all the glory, and I get all the good out of being obedient. Just to do it. I'm going to do it. When we say yes to the Holy Spirit, we're the ones who reap the benefits. I'd have never dreamed. Can I tell you something? When this began to occur, and I, we had troubles in our marriage, and we had troubles in our, with our kids. <laughs> All of our kids are in ministry today. All of them love the Lord, and they love us. Next week, we have our family consecration. We were together for five days. Last year, we were in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. The theme was... Um, the battle belongs to the Lord. We went to the battlefields and stuff. We'd, we were together for six days, I think, then. Five days this time. We usually try to be five to six, sometimes seven. We've been as far as Eastgate of Yellowstone. We've been to Gatlinburg, Williamsburg. We just try to go different places. We rent a place. We all save up. We're going to do this. We have never had an ill word. When you have 22 grandchildren and your kids and in-laws and there's never an ill, you want to know why? When after our consecration is over, for one month, I will not ask God for one thing about our family. I will thank him. I will thank him. I will thank him. Because, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to children men. We need to thank God. But once that's over, the next 11 months, I will pray for those meetings, for our time together. I pray for good health. I pray for good weather. And God does affect weather. I pray. And you know what? We are seeing... And as a result, our kids are looking forward to getting together with their family. And all of us be together. Cousins getting to know one another. Joyce, uh, Joyce and I, neither one knew any of our cousins. Joyce never even knew her grandparents and lived 20 minutes away. These, the benefits, the blessings, because we believe the Spirit of God is saying, I want you to consecrate yourself again. And we have communion together. We sing and worship. We quote scriptures. Ben will preach one time. We have different things. And we have an absolute blast. Joyce has these fractured Olympics we're going to play this year. We pick them up at going to camp. Some of these nut games, okay? They are an absolute trip. I don't get in on them out here. I do there. They love to watch old grandpa. <laughs> and I love to do it, but I won't do it here with you. How you feel? Look at that drunken old man. <laughs> it's different when it's grandpa. Those are things we believe to be of the Spirit of God. Because he has to get all the credit. We wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have done this. We'd have been just typical American, just go your own way kind of stuff. And we're saying, our lives are spread pretty thin out here. Let's get together once a year. Why do we do that? It's patterned after the Jews who would go and celebrate the feasts. Once a year, they'd go to Passover. Once a year, they'd go to open time. Once a year, they'd go to the... the, the and they couldn't make them all, but they'd make one a year. A good Jew always in Jerusalem. Man, we're going to do it one year. That, the, my favorite would have been the one of the Feast of Booths. Everybody stayed in tents to remind them of when they came out of Egypt. And that's when they'd tell the stories the old fathers with them. I'd tell stories. I'd tell stories to old Ezra and Silas at night. They said, Grandpa, you're the only one we know that can take a Western and turn it into a Christian story. You got to preach Christ to them. So, you know, they're gunslinging away, but Jesus was there. And he <laughs> the old grandpa's telling them stories about Joshua. 
telling them stories about Gideon and Samson, accounts of their heritage. It's been the Lord's goodness to us. It's been his Holy Spirit to us. We couldn't have figured this out. We couldn't have figured this out. I have a large responsibility to do things that would lend me to be filled with the Spirit of God. Fill does not mean this. Fill means control. I long to be in control. I don't like, I don't like surprises. Anybody know what I meant by that? I like to know what's going down. I like to have this thing figured out. When he's in control, he's writing the script. When he's in control and I got grace and I'm acknowledging that, we can deal with this. We can do this thing. I have things I need to do to be filled or controlled by the Spirit. The spiritual things. Being in the book, being in prayer, being with other believers. People that I would not naturally like, I love now because of the grace of God. I love to be around people that don't even like me. That sounds weird. Because there's people that don't like me. They don't like my personality. They don't like my style or whatever, which I don't know what the style is. I don't have, I, I, you know, I got a Bible school to have a style, you know. You see some guys, and they get like they cookie-cuttered right out after the founder of the school or something. I, but I can love them. I can love people. That is the spirit of God and the spirit of grace at work in my life and in your life. That's the spirit of grace. Well, I want to close in prayer, but I want to thank you for listening. And I know I was ricocheting from one thing. I just wanted to get through the essentials. Holy Spirit being one, knowing the gospel, another one, being a person of prayer, get in the word. These are basics. Um, choose a ministry. We've just chosen our family. And then because of it, I think we have extended ministry, a preaching ministry. Warfare, become a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Um, grace, ask God for grace. You're going to face things today. God, give me grace to deal with this. Give me grace to deal with this. And then ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit every day of your life. Say, oh God, cleanse me. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me by your spirit. And he'll do it. Heavenly Father, would you take these things we've already had? This is nothing new. We've heard these things before. We need to hear them again. Somehow may they sink a little deeper into our spiritual consciousness. That new man that's created after God in Christ Jesus. The one where we are one with you in spirit. Help us in that. And we'd ask you just to continue to teach us your ways. Show us your paths. Help us to walk in them. Help us. Give us grace for today's living. The trials, the burdens we feel under, oh God, would you lift us up? By your grace, would you strengthen us? By your grace, would you heal us? Maybe it's a physical healing. Mental or emotional healing. Maybe a spiritually scarred life that needs your touch. Would you give us grace? You are the God of all grace. Would you strengthen, establish, and settle us in the faith? In the precious name of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.